Hey everybody, I'm Coots. And I'm Conan. Hey everybody, I am with my partner in crime, Dr. Jeff Conan. Today on our podcast, we're going to be talking about compensation, and we are particularly excited about uh, the editorial that appeared in the most recent edition of NATA News in November 2023, titled Fair Compensation by Providing Continuing Education, Why It Matters. And uh, we read that uh, independently and we started texting each other right away and immediately knew we've got to talk about this because this is something that we're both passionate about. So, Jeff, let me just throw it right to you off the bat. And, and why does it matter? Oh, my God. Where to start? Um, you know, you hit the nail on the head. This is a topic, um, entrepreneurially speaking, that we harp on all the time. It's about value. And why this hit home, why it matters is, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about it openly. We tweeted about it. We've mentioned it in our presentations. This was probably the most well-written, articulated way that I've seen this put forth to our membership and our leaders, or, our, or I should say at least our decision makers, right, who run our conferences. And I think this speaks to not just our national approach, but our, our districts, our states, it's within. And what I loved about this particularly was, was a statement that spoke about, you know, how do we expect others to value us for what we think we're worth if we're sending a message to ourselves that we're not that value because here's what we're paying you or not paying you or not providing you in terms of soft cash, right? How many nights hotel or travel reimbursements or things like that or tuition waivers for the course. And so, you know, this is this is something that cannot die in the vine. It needs to be spoken about beyond you and I, Matt. It has to go out to leadership and it, it needs to be a consensus decision. But the decision, while it's important to understand profit and loss, and you know what a conference is designed to do, our certain conference is designed to make revenue. And that's the real, that's the biggest portion of what their membership does look at in terms of how they function. Or is it a break-even? Or do you acknowledge that it's a loss? But in terms of the loss, it's financial loss, but there's a gain in many other ways. Well, some of those things have to be put a little bit on the side in the back burner here to talk about respect for the actual people who make the conference. The speakers make the conference. The quality of the speakers help determine how many people are going to come as attendees. What do they want to hear? Who do they want to hear? And I think that this really resonates with me. And that's where we started texting back and forth because it, it felt like, wow, we should have written this. Art. I, I was jealous when I saw it. I'll be honest with you. We should have put this one out here. But kudos for it being published, kudos for the way it was written and the thought that hopefully this will become significantly thought provoking for a period of time now until we see some change. Yeah. I'm, so thanks for saying that, because this has to do immediately with this idea of the philosophy of conference planning. Right. I mean, you think about it because embedded in your in your in your comments there was the assumption that there's the assumption that meeting planners, conference planners, whatever, especially the meeting we're talking about, it's everyone's going to come no matter what. And and 
because they need to be there because they need the CEUs or whatever. And that's kind of thing. So we're going to put this program together. But in the world that we're moving into now with all the other available uh, opportunities there are for CEUs, for continuing ed, for speaking, for, for all the different options we have, there really is a new world beginning to be formed here, right? And the new world is people come to conferences for other reasons than just I need the CEUs. They want to actually hear certain people speak, right? They want to hear, they want to hear experts, they want to hear new ideas, they want to be challenged, they want to be pushed. And we have to, that needs to be worked into the budget. And and you know, as I'm as I'm reading this. I remember thinking, I mean, I'm, I'm having that thought in my mind that that, that the the cliche of uh, the airport flight uh, flight attendant who's there saying, you know, before you help somebody else, put your own mask on first, you know, and, and I know that's cliche, but the same thing applies here. We talk so much, and you mentioned this, we talk so much about not of, of getting value and promoting our value and work to everybody else around us, but then our own association. I'll just say it, I suppose, is is like, yeah, but we don't we don't mean that for us. We mean that you do that for everybody else. But when it comes to us, we don't mean that for us. We want you to volunteer, to serve, to give back to your profession. It's like, listen, hold on one cotton picking minute here. I give back to my profession a whole heck of a lot, a whole heck of a lot. And now you're asking me to give back in this way, too. And now you're cutting into my income, especially people like us who actually get decent honorariums for traveling around and speaking at different places. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, yeah, that a boy, that a girl, great job on this article. This is awesome because I know I've turned down opportunities to speak at these types of events because the honorarium was in not it even costs, it it's just money. embarrassing. It costs me money. It right. costs I me mean, money, and you you're supposed to show up with your original creative work that you put time in, like they showed here in their chart, which was fantastic. Yeah, you know, estimated time of preparation, not just the delivery for forty five minutes or one hour of CEUs, but you prepare all that, right? And so there is a a value to that, and now it's going to cost you money, and then sometimes. In these speaker contracts that you understand, the agreements that we're asked to sign, we're asked to turn over the copyrights to our original work so they can then generate in whatever format they want. Right. To and make don't, do don't do it. 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 That should be another part of this piece is not only should you negotiate higher speaking fees when you speak for your professional association, which should honor your work and expertise and effort instead of asking for a free handout about it. But not only when they do that, don't give them the copyright. You can check no on that little box and say, yeah, no, I reserve the right to keep my own stuff and to profit from it. You're not going to be able to profit from it. If you do, you actually pay me a percentage of what you make from it. When you put this on a timely topic, when you put this on the, 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 uh, the, you know, the education site to, for people to buy later on, you better be sending me a royalty from that. Well, look, how many times when you speak outside of AT, you're asked, how much do you charge? What do we get in return? What can, else can we write in this agreement if we have to barter back and forth to make it happen, right? We get these contracts that are black and white and there's no options, right? I remember recently tweeting about one that I filled out for a district who will keep unnamed at this point in time. It basically said, we give you a $200 honorarium 
We don't reimburse any of your travel. We don't give you any hotel. <laughs> oh, and by the way, we do ask you to donate the honorarium back. Please check one of the following. Would you like to donate it back to the scholarship or the research group? And that was the only option I had. Where does that come from? That's the, that's the thing that's well, interesting so, okay. for me. So, so you, this is a great question, right? Because I had an off-the-record conversation with somebody after this was published. And what they told me was, this is somebody with very good inside knowledge. We call it, what do we call them? Our sources, right? right? Our sources said, to their knowledge, that number that's given us an honorarium hasn't been reviewed in over 10 years. Wow. So, you know, okay, so let's not be negative about it. Let's be positive because our job is to come with solutions, not just complain, but come with solutions. And this article was great, had a lot of solutions, right? Maybe it's now time to put a task force together, not just in-house with the existing committee that runs the conference, not just the board of directors to make this decision, but take people like you and I and others who are out there speaking for other organizations that do things differently. You know, I, I worked for a president one year at a university. This guy was phenomenal. And um, one of the things he did was he had, he had a child who was getting ready to go to college. So he did the tour with his son to every university's orientation. And when he came back, he gathered a group of people and said, listen, we need to do some things better. I think we do it really well at our university, but I just learned all these following things from just visiting these other places. I went as a dad, but I was observant intentionally. And this is what we need to do. We need to ask the people who are frequently being invited to speak for others, to consult with others. What is it that we can do better within reason? I understand it, right? They're not going to pay the fees that we get to each person who's speaking at a conference when you have hundreds of speakers. I understand it. I get it. But you've got to do something different. So let's talk about this. This article suggested an experiential-based incremental raise of honorariums based on years of being an athletic trainer. What are your thoughts? So, well, first thing right off the bat is is – no, I I disagreed with that only because experience, especially now. So I need to back up. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. You can tell I'm starting to fumble over my words. I need to back up and calm down. One of the things that's critical about understanding the the complexity of the world we live in now, and you know this is an area that I write on and and have a lot of professional interest in, is this VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, and what. One of the things that's just a given in the VUCA space is that the significance of experience becomes dramatically less important. And that's because the issues we're trying to solve and the problems we're trying to face are brand new or newer. And because of that, experience offers little benefit. And in fact, what they have shown and a researcher research has shown pretty clearly is that the less experience you have, the more likely you are to bring novel and new solutions to these problems. And athletic training is certainly in a space where we are being shifted and 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 in upheaval. So I would say to that is while I appreciate the seniority based mindset and trying to honor people who have served a long time, and I think that's the premise that they were getting at. For someone who served a long time, they deserve honor, right? And and I don't disagree with that. They should. But what tends, ends up happening 
is that leads to the seniority based mindset. And then people just think, well, they deserve it just because they've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. And it's the seniority mindset that I really have a problem with because it's typically the most senior people in an organization that are the biggest drag on the organization. They're the (laughs) ones that don't want to change that. They're the ones that are talking about, you've got to do it this way because I had to do it this way, you know, and we need to bring in some of the, the young blood so to speak, who have maybe more novice approaches in their research or their ideas or the things that they're presenting and let those spark conversation. I mean, that's what really this is about is enhancing dialogue, enhancing interaction, generating new ideas. And yes, um, so people can do that. So how do you make this a practical model? Let's use our, our uh, annual meeting in June, our national meeting. When, uh, submissions to speak are blinded and you don't know who is submitting them and you're basing your reviews a on topic number one because you're sort of dividing up the topics to have some diverse conference presentations and then the quality of the x amount of words that are submitted in this proposal so you don't know the expertise of the person speaking or regardless how many years of experience they do or don't have. And then more importantly, based on that, you don't know how much you're going to pay an honorarium if you accept those talks because you don't know who they are yet. So how do you address this in a meaningful way to to improve, I don't want to say the quality of the conference, but improve what this editorial is speaking to? Yeah, the quality of, of the selection. And, and you know, again, it's like the peer review process in journals, you know, it's, it's the best we have, but it sucks. and uh and and it's the same kind of thing here it's going through this this committee-based review and and the question comes up is all right on what grounds are they ultimately making these decisions and i don't have behind the curtain insight here and i and i am first and foremost want to say a huge fan of the cps i know that they do a tremendous job they have in my opinion one of the harder committees to be on as far as difficulty, time commitment, all that kind of thing. So hats off and kudos to them. And I know this isn't their policy per se. Um, So I don't mean to, to cast any, any shadows in that direction at all. And and I served on that committee previously. And I've said to this day, hardest working committee I've ever been involved with. So I agree with you a hundred percent. So that said, I, I just wonder, you know, the, end up just going with a gut reaction you end up going with this one feels good at this time and and you have kind of i know that there's rubrics and things like that or I'm, I'm assuming that there's rubrics and things like that to, to help with those decisions but it ends up being a feel the pulse kind of a thing and you make those kind of judgment calls on this feels like a good topic at this time and then you open the envelope to see who it is and, and that kind of thing right. so maybe maybe we have kind of a, a dual selection process where we have, because one of the things that's always bugged me and it's always been very interesting to me is if these are blind and people are reviewing, why do we do the evals at the end of the session, you know, and, and that kind of thing, because it's like, well, are we doing the evals to see the quality of the instruction? Would I, I mean, one of the questions on those evals is, would you listen to this person again? Would you recommend them to someone else? And I know, on everyone that I've gotten there, I get great marks on those, but I've never been asked back again. It's like, so what are you using it for? What's it there for? I mean, if you're not going to, if they're not going to weigh in 
on the selection process, why are we asking it? You know, that's the same thing. Or, we about or, or what, anyway. about an, what about an approach when those evals come back and they're very good and you're invited back? That's figured into the honorarium. Yeah, that's a great idea too. And that's the other part is I've been in it's here's here's just the, the truth. All right. And and so I have I have been invited to speak at the NATA both as a special presentation, as a feature presentation, and invited to do workshop and things. But every proposal that I've ever submitted has been rejected. I you and me both, brother. It's hundred percent, hundred percent. Listen, listen, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm a better speaker than anybody else, but I I'm a good speaker. I get a lot of kudos for that. I do it for a living. It's it's a it's a fun thing. I get great feedback. I get great comments. So, and I know that there's other great ones out there. Okay. So that's that's not it's not about me, but it's just it's an interesting reality that every time I have something that I think is important that needs to be presented, and I'm like, I'm gonna write a proposal for this and submit it. A hundred percent. I'm not talking a one in 10, Jeff, a hundred percent. I have never had a presentation accepted when I've submitted one, but yet I've been invited to give feature and, and, and special presentations multiple times. Adam, I'm tired to waking up to that dream where I woke up and it said, uh, dear Dr. Conan, we received a lot of wonderful proposals this year. <laughs> Unfortunately, yours wasn't Joe's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I can't even tell you how many of those I've got. I'm right. getting used to it. Like you and I were just talking about today, right? Would you say in, well, in the same here's the other irony about it? In the same year. I mean, so it's been like I submitted a proposal. The proposal I submitted was rejected and then get invited to speak on the topic that I submitted for. I mean, it's like, wait, it's so, so, I mean, so that's an issue. Right. And then, and then of course you're right. If you're invited back, back based on scores, feedback, expertise, all that, that should default you to a different honorarium level, you know, right off the bat. And they should think about a tiered structure. I agree with that, but I don't know that the tiered structure should be experience-based. No, because, you know, the thing is this, I mean, if you're looking for, we talk about this all the time, you know, what is an expert, right? Right. So, so you develop a body of knowledge, you disseminate that knowledge, typically in a form of written peer review type publications, but then you have the ability to present that work and not just your body of work, but others included within your body of work. And I think that's the key thing here, right? So it's different, right? When you're submitting a, a paper, as you alluded to, it goes through this other flawed process. And that's one thing. Um, but then when you're speaking, you also need to not just have, you have to go beyond your writing skills. You now have to have presentation skills. We talk about this in our program, the 80-20 rule all the time, right? 80% of your presentation has got to be factual content in an expert level, but 20%, and you can shift these a little bit, but, but to the, generally speaking, 20% has got to be your ability to capture and entertain the audience, an opening line, a closing line, something interactive in between, because I've listened and so have you and so have others out there listening to us. We've listened to experts speak who are have done all the research in an area. They're well-known because every manuscript I pick up has their name as a co-author on it. So I think it's a it's an entire package, not just like you said, based on just longevity of being an athletic trainer, 
But longevity and, and however short or long that is, where you put together the package of what's necessary, because your job up there is to convey a story, influence the participants to listen to what you're saying in a way that will hopefully change their practice. That's the goal. Well, what you're talking about, I think, is is the critical difference between people who get hired or 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 invited to present on their research. You know, there's the there's the platform where this research needs to be presented. It needs to be disseminated. And nobody would argue that. Like, you know, there's there's some awesome research going on out there, you know, within our profession. And we've got some great people doing research. So there's a difference between standing up the podium and going through here's my research, here's what I did, here's the questions I asked, here's the responses, here's the methods, et cetera, and you're going through. That's not teaching somebody something. There's a difference between presenting research and teaching something of value. And I think think there's another, again, I know this gets, you're talking about people's interests and their passions. It's like, well, what I'm saying is needs to be taught. and, And I realize that it becomes a, more complex mix but that's again the natural characteristic of the world we're in today and it's learning to sort through and embrace this complexity instead of trying to oversimplify this complexity and and that's a really an important part of the of the equation is people who you know like you have already alluded to who can come in engage present captivate and capture an audience and convey information and knowledge to them that they need to know that inspires them to go practice better, whatever better is, whether it's clinically, whether it's leadership, whatever it might be in any of the five domains, that's one type of thing. And that needs to be, uh, uh, to use the word we used a minute ago, honored, you know, they need to be honored differently as opposed to the person who's coming in and is talking about their research project that they just did, which again, I'm not saying one is more or less important than the other, but it's a completely different type of energy even. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm done presenting to large audiences and and things and, and teaching and conveying my life's message, so to speak, they, uh, I'm exhausted you know, when it's over is totally different from when I'm just going to talk about this paper that I just had published in this journal. And I just go up there and here's a slide deck. Here's my methods. Here's my research question. You know, here's a lit review. Here's listen, I'm not saying that's easy and I don't want to discount people, but there is something to be said for people who know how to give public speak, who are good public speakers. And oh, no doubt. Look, presenting their research. Hey, let's go back to day one of our podcast. And we shared with people our backgrounds and how we came to this. Mm-hmm. You're the Fulbright scholar. I'm the stand-up comic. Everyone wanted me to be funny when I was off the stage performing. No, that's not that's not funny. That's that's just like writing the papers. It just you go by your life. But when you're on that stage and when I'm performing, yeah, I'm in the zone. I'm my heart is pumping. Right. You're you're when you're in front of an audience and you have the ability to interact and they respond. I think that's the key. Use a lot of words of what we do as a speaker. But from their standpoint, they're responding. They like what you said. It makes sense. It's palpable. And they're engaged. They want to hear more of you. Then you've seen this on the Corsi Ballast. They said, oh, you should definitely bring this person back or this person should 
had a bigger room exactly. or I should have had two hours, right? We see these all the time. And, and as you said, I, I don't want to say fall in deaf ears, but I'm not familiar with anything that's ever happened to one of my speaker evals that's, you know, catapulted something to the future and say, hey, based on these, this is what we need to do. But let me ask you this. After reading this editorial now, in your opinion, what's the call to action? What's the next step to act on this? <laughs> so I'm, this is this is going to surprise you because I, I I don't uh, the answer is going to be well I'm going to start saying no to invitations to speak. <laughs> at, I'm at not surprised. Point, you know, it's just like wait, because you're right. I, I mean, and that's really the the response is is I have I have I'm I have you know been a victim of that or not victim not the right word but I have I have dropped the ball in this space because of my love for athletic training, my love and commitment to the NATA, which is I'm on my third, just got my, just renewed my 30th year this year. So, you know, I'm a 30 year member of NATA. So no one better tell me that I'm not a supporter or endorser, all that I've served on committees, chaired committees, all kinds of things. So my heart and soul goes to the NATA, but I have let them abuse me. And <laughs> I have. And and we talk about what well, we need to serve it. And I'm I'm that person who has been like, you know what? I will I will take a loss for this because I believe in the cause. And yes. this article, this editorial alerted me to that in my own life. And I and at, like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, when I read this, the first metaphor that goes through my mind is the, the airplane crash, put your own mask on first. And so my call to action that I took from this is I'm going to start putting my own mask on first, you yeah. know? And, uh, and yeah, again, I'm not going to stop serving. I'm not going to stop giving. I'm not going to stop attending or anything like that. I'm just going to make, make it more of an issue when I was like, really, you're going to give me 200 bucks when what, what you've asked me to speak about. I just spoke last week at this organization here and they paid me, a, a lot more, a thousand a lot times more. what you're willing to give me, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot more. yeah, it's it's embarrassing, and uh, the the thing is, though, you get to a point where I think part of the reason we still do it, even though we have the opportunity to say no, is because now we look at it and say, well, you know what, I make so much doing it for other people, I'm happy to give back and do it here for nothing. But that's the wrong approach, right? It's the wrong approach. You know, I do the same thing. I give a ton of stuff back to different people. I don't need the recognition. It goes unknown. They they know who they are when they receive something from me. And all I ask them to do is pay it forward. But I've been blessed to receive things on my end from a positive standpoint, like you said, from what I put together as, as a package to, that is important and others see the value and they pay me that value. And right. so then what I do with that is then I give other people the opportunity. But same as you, and I don't know, I lost track. And by the way, it doesn't count if you're like, okay, let's let's just let's just do this imagination thought experiment thing. Let's say some the powers that be do read this, and they're like, oh my goodness, you're right. We're gonna start making two thousand dollar honorariums for all of our speakers, and they get a windfall, and whatever happens, and and we can do this now. But we're gonna, you still have to pay for your own airfare, your own hotel, your own registration. That doesn't count, by the way, because you know and I know every time I write a contract to speak for an organization or group, it's always my fees plus expenses always travel accommodations right food. you know i'm and not paying for my own food and yeah. by the way and what type of travel i'm not sitting no offense that's right don't put me on aisle 47 that's right yeah and and i'm sorry but that comes with the territory now because 
you're going to inconvenience me on these flights. You're going to make it harder with connections to get there to save money. But, you know, I just thought of something from what you just said. How is it any different if we as an association say, well, we can't do this just because we can't afford it. And then we turn around and wonder why every school district in this country says that. Right. right? They say that same thing. We can't afford the athletic trainer. Right. And, and, and then we wonder, I've said this before, I said it in my tweet when this first came out. How do we expect others to value what we do? You, you can't afford not, not to, Jeff. That's what we've got. That's what yeah. they say to them. You can't afford not to. And here's what's happening. So this is something you just, you just, again, this soapbox time is coming. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, here's the other thing is there's been complaints. Now, again, I don't know all the variables that are factoring in here, but there's been complaints that attendance is decreasing. Sure. I wonder why attendance is decreasing. I mean, could this be, could this be? a possibility where it's like, maybe this is a factor. It's like, listen, if you're going to put together a great program, you got to give the people what they want. And if they've been filling out forms for years, this person yes. having them back, they need more time. And then you, and then they'd go look at the schedule the next year. And the people that they love to listen to in here aren't on the list. Guess what? They're like, well, why would I go here? I can go here. This person somewhere else. You know, this is a little, a little bit off topic now, but you know, we had COVID uh, most people, their amounts for professional development also hasn't increased in decades. So they're right. still the same thousand dollars to go to a conference that costs, you know, 3000 plus now to get there and live and eat and things like that. There's a lot of different reasons. But here's the question I would ask, which, by the way, another reason is when you also offer this meeting on demand, many people work for places that say, well, if the same conference is offered virtual, we're not going to pay for you to go travel. So their hands are tied unless right. they pay. You have to take it virtually. Right. Right. Here's the real question I want to ask. It, it, it's not critically as important to me that say, I mean, it's important, but say our numbers have gone down from whatever, 12,000 to 5,000. Let's just say as an example, right? What I want to know is of the numbers remaining that we count in our attendance, tell me we're not counting exhibitors and sponsors in that number. Be honest. Right. Tell me we're not counting the virtual registrations, be honest, and then subtract the number of people who are there because they are speaking and presenting or they are on a committee. I want to know how many people are truly coming just because they're coming to the conference to learn. And those are the people that we need to target to increase those numbers. But how are you going to do that? It all comes back to this, the quality of the topics and the speakers. And you have to just start to take a step back and look at that. And there's something to be said about the blind reviews. Yeah. Maybe they're not serving the way they should serve when we start looking at this formula here. You know, and, and they're pointing the finger at other people because I've had these conversations, you know, before with other people. I was like, well, this is not an NATA policy. It's a BOC policy. BOC requires it to be CEUs. And the other thing I was going to throw into our conversation, if we had time, which we're kind of running out, but the whole conflict of interest thing. You know, listen, the other thing that I work in a lot of my gigs that I do outside is like, I'm also going to pitch my books, you know, and this kind of thing. And, and this is, and there, and, and only <laughs> the NATA and, and, and my state and district associations are the ones that throw a fit about that. It's like, no, of course, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And, <laughs> uh, and that's the other thing. And there's other ways 
if money's not there, there's other ways to make it worthwhile for the speaker. We've talked about this before. We talk about it in our residencies with our students. We talk about it in previous podcasts, but there's other things we can work into it as far as make it worthwhile for me um, and and copyright and, and book sales and book signings and things like that are certainly part of that. But most other organizations, associations, and groups expect that to be part of it. That's why they invited you in the first place. Hey, look, for starters, all you have to do is create a profit sharing approach. If you're going to take my presentation and sell it online, because you know, what's going to happen now, if it really was good and I have value and quality, it's people are going to take that course and it's going to sell more. And that's how I'll be rewarded. Right. I mean, that's a really, really small task to do. If you record my presentation there, of which eight people were in the room, and then you put it online on demand and, and 10 people take it, well, the message is either the speaker or the topic or both shouldn't be paid these numbers here that are escalating in the editorial. I mean, that's a fair way to do it in and of itself. That's a great first step and a really, really simple thing to do. All right, so Coots and Conan are out. 